This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the channel and welcome back to another edition of the Spurs Chat Podcast. In this edition, I'm absolutely delighted to bring on journalist and broadcaster Danny Kelly, the legend Danny Kelly. Danny, welcome to the channel. How are you? Oh, Chris, I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. Um, uh, You know, there's lots of Spurs podcasts and uh, all kinds of casts out there, including the one I do myself. Um, uh, But you are so nicely... Um, and I like what you do as well. So I, I'm delighted to do it, actually. And uh, I hope we can fit it all into about 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure, I don't think so, especially no. the way both of us can talk. Um, sure. Danny, you've done so much in your career. Um, mm. Talk us through some of the highlights of your career, because, of course, you've worked in radio, TV, written media. You've even been in a couple of films. Uh, yes, uh, I've, been, I've been very lucky. You know, um, I, the truth is, Chris... Um, I never, I never set out to do any of these things. Um, my father was a railman, um, having Im- uh, emigrated from Ireland, which is where I'm talking to you from now. I've gone back there, um, and I followed him onto the railways. And I had, you know, I was really interested in football and pop music and all the rest of it. And it's a long, long story involving me being uh, a shop steward um, and filling out the pages of a sort of Xerox to Union magazine with reviews of records I'd heard, things like that. Somebody seeing it at a TUC conference and ringing me and saying, um, do you know what the NME is? And I said, saying, yes, you know, I'm working at Victoria Station. Um, and they're saying, well, we like what you write. Would you want to do some some stuff for us? And, you know, it, it, that all accelerates. And eventually I'm, eventually I'm the editor of the NME um, and then editor of Q. So I've been a very lucky man. I've edited the two greatest pop music and rock music magazines that the world's ever known, with all due respect to Rolling Stone. Um, and, you know, that was that was all going along really, really well. Um, and at some stage, you you know, my interest in sport, I kept banging on about various things, and I don't know how it, how it came about. I can't even remember now, but I started talking about sport. Perhaps when I was reviewing the newspapers um, on the old Radio 5, 
And, you know, gradually that started to expand as well. And I made the leap um, from one. I still love music and spend all my money on music. Um, but I then made the leap into talking about sport in general. Um, yeah, I've done TV, radio, made magazines, launched an internet company, which were, you know, we were lucky. It was the second British internet company to actually float on the stock exchange, 365. Um, I've been, I'm okay, Chris, at making things face the public. Um, and that's, that's what I've been doing. Um, the films you mentioned, yeah, the, I'm in the football factory and the film about football hooliganism because um, a friend of the director's um, was pointing out that the bits where they were doing the announcement of the draw for the FA Cups, I think Spurs and Millwall was the issue, wasn't it? Um, sounded really, really bad. So they dragged me in to do that. Um, I, 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 thought, I, I gave up my £60 appearance fee um, as demanded by equity. I said, as long as I get a, a, a credit, you know, I've never been in the film. I'd also, then I'm in another film. Um, and I have to tell you, I'm in another film completely naked. Um, uh, it's a film called Divorcing Jack. It's a really brilliant film, which got lost in the shuffle because it came out the same week as Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. My then girlfriend was working on the film. And there's a scene in which the corrupt, corrupt local councillor um, uh, is, is um, having what can only be described as a love session um, with, his, with his lover. Um, and she said, this, this has been written because David Thewlis, the great David Thewlis, has to run through the room where they're doing this, this, this act. And she said, they're doing it on space hoppers. And she said, I've scoured the earth, Dan, and no one will, none of the actors will do it for me. She said, would you do it? And I said, <laughs> Chris, I said, well, look, when I'm an old man, um, I thought it was going to be in Essex then, when I'm an old man in Ireland, um, balancing something red and pleasant on my chest to drink, Will I think my life has been better or worse for appearing in this film? So I said, I'll do it. I go over to Northern Ireland. It's been filmed in Bangor. Very cold winter's day. That's important. Um, and um, we're given, I'm given this little pair of underpants, and I'm sat on my space hopper, and he's doing his, the other actor, bouncing up and down. David Stulis keeps running into the room and jumping through the window, and somehow he's not being shocked enough. So the next time he goes out for take 20, whatever it is, actually take three or four, um, I said, I know what I'll do. And to the horror of the other actor, I took the pants off. So I'm now completely naked, sat on Space Hopper. This time when David Thewlis throws the door open, there is a proper look of shock on his face. Um, and later in the year, the next day, um, he told me that he, he'd gone back to the hotel after the day's filming, um, got himself nice and relaxed, and rang people to tell him what, tell them what had happened to him today and what he'd seen. And he even described um, the... Uh, the, the, the scene on on the space hopper itself, and I have to say, um, given that I was very nervous and given that it was a very cold day, I want to thank him for exaggerating the way he did. Um, so, yes, I've been in films, and you can look at It's out there, and you'll see a brief glimpse of me um, with no clothes on. Proud post. Dan, you, yeah. you, you also host now um, the podcast A View from the Lane. Um, tell us yeah. about how you got involved with that. Look, um, I love podcasting. I think it's the future. Um, and I'll say that as a radio man down to my DNA. Um, the idea that people can get the content when they want it rather than having to sit and wait for it. They both have their beautiful, you know, you wouldn't want to listen to a, to a live commentary um, you know, while you're out walking the dog two days later. But the podcast, it struck me years ago, um, was the way forward. The Athletic has the View from the Lane podcast. There are many good Spurs podcasts out there. Um, 
and I think it was pretty good. Um, a friend of mine who was involved in its production rang me and said, this is really good. Could you listen to us, see what, see what else we could do with it? And I just, I listened to it. I said, look, it, all, it, it doesn't face the public. Um, it, 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 it's, um, it just needs somebody who can present it. And he said, will you do it like that? And I said, sure. Um, it also means they've got an older Spurs fan on it now as well to add a kind of background uh, to all of the other stuff. And the, the blokes I do it with, they're not all Spurs fans, but they are the people who cover the club and they know what's going on to a large extent. We occasionally get it wrong. Um, and they've also joined in the jollity I try to bring to the thing when I start to investigate obscure corners of history, culture, and all the rest of it. They join in very, very well. I say, I'm not going to diss any other uh, podcast out there. Um, I don't hear them all for a start, but if you... Uh, if you if you want a Spurs podcast that's informed and it's not afraid to be intelligent, then the view from the lane is one that does that very thing. I also talk a lot, Chris. I love it. That's exactly yeah. why you're here. That's exactly yeah. why you're here. Yeah. Danny, why Tottenham? Why Tottenham for you? Really difficult, Chris. Um, I was born in Prade Street Hospital in Paddington because my father was a Roman and worked at Paddington. Um, uh, but I was brought up in Islington. Um, my parents lived in Islington. Um, we lived within, not sight of Highbury, but within sound of the stadium. Um, on Saturday, you could hear the cheering. Very close, as I would say. Um, now that the big stadium is there, my primary school, Our Lady of the Sacred Heart, you can literally see the stadium from the, from the playground. Um, and in those days, when you could just bowl up to football grounds, my uncles, who seemed to arrive in in, in sort of, uh, drafts every now and then we'd top up the number of uncles who were arriving from Ireland to work on digging the Victoria line to be truthful um, and they would all take me to the football in London um, occasionally the first time I remember being in a massive crowd was at Fulham Bill Shankly's Liverpool were the coming thing I was eight or nine years of age they took me down there the crowd at Craven Cottage appeared to be you know a million people to my infant eyes but of course my previous biggest crowd I've ever been was probably at a church at mass um and then because we lived in Islington one week I'd get taken to Arsenal one week I'd get taken to Spurs I should have been an Arsenal fan um something about Spurs I always say it's the white shirts I love their white shirts I love them to this day um the less design on them the happier I am um I know we've got our sponsorship of these days and maps of the of the borough and all the rest of it but I think it was those white shirts um, and something, you know, I became a rock and roll journalist. Something inside me, even as an eight-year-old, told me that Spurs were rock and roll and Arsenal were the British Foreign Office. I didn't know that the, the Hillwood family who ran the Foreign Office were in charge of them, but something instinctively told me I had to support Spurs. And I'd like to tell you, Chris, and, and, and all the, you know, two and a half million people watching this now, um, I'd like to say I've never had a moment's regret, but there have been times under Arsene Wenger when I, I, I literally could have could have nailed my foot to the coffee table. Such was the yeah. level of my bitter regret. Danny, what do you remember about your first games as a as a young boy supporting Spurs? Yeah, I remember um, the uh, people who remember White Hart Lane before it got redeveloped. And, you know, a little tear rolls down his fat face as he remembers the old ground. The new ground is fantastic, amazing, but there's a lot of my blood, sweat, emotion, tears and money in the old stadium. Um, the, 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 the edge of the pitch was ringed with a, with a, with a sort of 
brick wall that came up to there with white hoops on the top of it. Um, that was the decorative finish of it. So I can remember when you were a young person in those days, you'd be sent down to the front to watch the game and the hoops were always pressed up against me. My only other real memory, two things. Um, one is that the, the halftime scores were done in the most extraordinary way. I'm sure you've heard this before. At the edge of the pitch, there was A, B, big placards, A, B, C, D, E, F. And you had in the program, A might be Aston Villa against Nottingham Forest. And about 20 minutes into the second half, somebody would laboriously wander out to the edge of the pitch with a, some, some little, a bit like the old substitute boards and put the scores up. So you'd have an idea halfway through the second half what the score had been at halftime. It was ludicrous. I guess the other thing I remember is I saw the last few seasons of Jimmy Greaves' time at Spurs. And, you know, you're at an age in your, uh, you know, late 10, 11, 12, 13. You're at an age where you want heroes, don't you? And Jimmy yeah. Greaves scored every week. Um, I remember he had a pair of lucky boots and I was down close to the pitch. Um, and you could see that one stage he was they were held together with kind of tape because this was the days when footballers now wear a new pair of boots for every game. They probably changed them at half time, if truth be known. Um, so my, my earliest memories are of Jimmy Greaves, really. Not, not Spurs weren't very good in the in the you know in the late 60s. They won the cup in 67. But it, it, to me, this whole thing about winning trophies it was irrelevant. I used to go for the excitement of being at a football ground, and it's the same excitement I get now. 50-odd years later, more than 50 years later, as you're walking towards, particularly at night, any stadium with the lights on, people chattering about what the game's going to be like. Um, and there's still something about football and a football ground that I absolutely love. And, it, you know, Spurs is the best place for me to do, to do that. But my early memories are really of the ground itself and of Jimmy Greaves. Danny, you talk about Jimmy Greaves there. Of course, Harry mm. Kane is about to break his record at Spurs. Wow. Even can the words. You, can you compare those two? Who who was who is the better player? Um, it's hard to compare, and I'm sorry. To, I will give you an answer. Of course, I will. It's hard to compare because the football is so different. Jimmy Greaves played on mud heaps um, against people who were allowed to literally kick him up in the air. Harry Kane has the luxury of playing on billiard tables with people who are barely allowed to touch him. And let's be fair, if they do touch Harry, he goes down, doesn't he? So you know, there's that. Um, but the truth of the matter is, when I, when Jimmy Greaves left to go to West Ham, I was 13, I think, and my father was very concerned. I was so devoted to Spurs and to, to, to Jimmy Greaves that, you know, I went to bed really early because they were very concerned, like all immigrant parents, that I got my, my sleep to go to school and, 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 and learn stuff. But I remember my father would never do this. He came upstairs and woke me up in the middle of the night. Um, because he'd seen on the 10 o'clock news, it was in those days, Jimmy Greaves had gone to West Ham. He wanted to break the news to his son ever so gently so that I wouldn't yeah. learn it at school from somebody else. Um, the answer to your question, of course, look, there is no comparison. They are both great players. I have no hesitation in saying that. Greaves is the greatest English goal scorer. Um, and I say that because he'd already scored 130 goals for Chelsea before he went to Spurs, you know. And, uh, you know, I know I know Harry got a cup for Norwich and Millwall and stuff, but it's not the same, quite the same thing. But the the, the, de the, the, the size and greatness of Kane's achievement is this. I have carried Greaves' goal-scoring record around with me as a piece of knowledge that is immutable, that cannot be changed 
There are, you know, we all know that everything we know is wrong and everything changes all the time. But there are two things we definitely know. Everest is the highest mountain in the world and Jimmy Grease's goal scoring record will never be broken. Those two things I know. And one of them turned out to be wrong. Think about it. Someone to break Grease's record would have to score 27 goals a year, every year, for 10 years. And Kane's doing that in less than 10 years. He is extraordinary. He is amazing. Um, I don't suppose they're, they're such different players. Harry does all kinds of things in midfield these days. Um, and Grease didn't. He was a finisher. Um, so I wouldn't say who's the greater player. I'll tell you what, they are the two greatest English strikers of all time. And they both played for Spurs. I, sir, having seen them both, am a very, very lucky fella. You are indeed. Um, what do you think uh, will happen to Harry Kane? He's out of contract at Spurs in 2024. Do you think he will leave in the summer? There's lots of speculation as per usual. Uh, this is such a hard one to answer. I mean, it, it, you could argue that if he has to go, then having broken that record and the England goal-scoring record will go as well, yeah. then you could argue there is a natural time in all these things. Um, but... I suspect Daniel Levy will want a lot of money for him, and quite rightly so. Um, and despite what Chelsea have done in the transfer market in the last few weeks to further inflate what's already a ludicrous situation, I remain hopeful that he can be persuaded to stay at one club. Um, and if he doesn't, though, and if he decides that he wants to go on, having broken Griggs' record, I didn't like the idea of him going when he was so close to it to Manchester City a year ago. And in yeah. fact, it was making, making me sick on my cornflakes. Um, I could live with it. I don't want him to, though. I want him to stay and do whatever he's going to do along. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest. He said he wants to play till he's 40. I mean, it might be that I might be finished, uh, you know, pop off the mortal coil by the time, by the time he's finished playing for Spurs with a bit of luck. Um, well, I mean, I'll ask you, Chris, what do you think is going to happen? Because I don't know. Do you know what? Sadly, I can see him doing what Teddy Sheringham did. Leave mm -hmm. Spurs, go and win a trophy somewhere at another Premier League club and perhaps come back because he would have broken the Spurs record. He would have broken the England record. Of course, he wants Alan Shearer's record in the Premier League. Sure. Um, but I'm like you, Danny. Of course, I want him to stay. Uh, but you mentioned the word trophies first. It is my favourite subject on this channel, trophies, because mm -hmm. we have been without them for so many years. Why do you think that is? Why, why haven't Spurs won trophies in so oh. long? Oh, well, I know, I know the reason. Because, uh, and first of all, let me say, I, I, I do understand that I'm a bit selfish here um, because I say, oh, trophies aren't the important thing. It's playing football, scoring goals and all the rest of it. Um, bear in mind, of course, I'm old enough to have seen Spurs win lots of trophies. I once worked yeah. out, including replays, I've been to 30 of 20, 30 cup finals, you know. Um, it has dried up in recent years. Let's not kid ourselves about that. Is it three in 30 years? I mean, it really is, uh, uh, by comparison, with when I started watching the game, um, a real drought. The answer to the question is, of course, that um, it is not easy to win trophies in England. The way that the game has changed, and the last transfer window just gone has proven it, you are already in a World Super League if you're playing in the Premier League. 11 of the 20 richest clubs in the world play in one league, the Premier League. That's by the latest Deloitte's figures. Pretty soon, I suspect it will be 12, 13 or 14 so to win a trophy, you have to overcome a spectacular array of people who are fantastically well-equipped with money, 
fans, stadia, and all the rest of it. As Spurs are, let's not kid ourselves, but think about it. Now, this is going to change with the League Cup final. Take the bigger clubs in England. Spurs haven't won a trophy since 2008. Everton haven't won a trophy for 30 years. Newcastle haven't won a trophy for 50 years. Manchester United haven't won a trophy for almost a decade or six, seven years. You add them all together, you're getting up towards 200 years. And these are the big clubs in England. It shows you the dominance that Abramovich's money, the money at Man the oil money at Manchester City, and Liverpool's astonishing manager, the effect they've had on the game. Um, it, it, now, look, in that, in that time, Wigan have won a trophy, and we saw what happened to them. Portsmouth have won a trophy. Help me, who else has won a trophy? Le Leicester have won the title. So all yeah. things are possible. But I think talking about trophies and not admitting that you are in the toughest environment a world football has ever seen to get yourself across the line, um, I think that's disingenuous. Um, could Spurs do more to win trophies? Yes, they could. They could do better work in the transfer market. You know, we've seen £100 million being spent to replace Kyle Walker um, yeah. unsuccessfully. Hopefully, Pedro Porro will do that. We've seen them give Seville two, two footballers and 20 million quid in return for what? Half a good game against Crystal Palace and a lovely haircut and a meme about haircuts in the case of Brian Hill. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. Um, I'm not an Enoch out person because I'm not unrealistic. I don't know how that would happen. How, how can I, how can we force the, those people, the private owners, to sell the club? I don't get into trouble with this all the time on the podcast. I do, um, Chris. The fact of the matter is, we, the fans, own the club in one way. We own it in that without our collective memories, thoughts, passion, to use an overused cliche of a word, there really isn't any club. But that's not how the owners see it. It's, it's a business to them. Um, and the only way we could ever really affect their thinking is to do the one thing that no football fan can countenance doing, and that is to stop supporting the club. Um, so we are in a difficult logjam, uh, Spurs, if you want real big change. Um, I was pulled up. You know, I was moaning bitterly about the team for the first half of the season. Gary Neville's speech on, on, on Monday Night Football about, you know, how bad is it really at Spurs had a real effect on me. Because I think when you're in the echo chamber of, of other Spurs fans, it's very easy to get into a spiral of thinking that everything is terrible. Three or four good results, and you know about the games I'm talking about in the next few weeks, and they could be in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, the last eight in the Champions League, and still, you know, challenging, at least for the European places, in the Premier League. So I want to tell you why I want them to win a trophy. I want it for the young supporters, the kids who go to school with their Spurs lunch bags, and people still have lunch bags, and, 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 and loving Spurs and Harry Kane and all the rest of it. Um, and if I remember the thrills I got when I was a younger man uh, watching them win things either in the stadium or on television, I'd like that to be replicated for younger people because I think it, it would go a long way to cementing their lifelong love of both Spurs and the game itself. Danny, what does the FA Cup mean to you? Because, of course, the last time we won it, back in 1991, for a record eighth time then, when Gary Mabbott lifted it at the old Wembley Stadium, um, do you think it's about time that we took a competition like this a little bit more seriously. And if I can add another question on that, 
Yeah. Um, if I was to give you the choice, Spurs finishing in the top four uh, and not winning the FA Cup or winning the FA Cup and finishing fifth? Well, I know what Daniel Levy would choose. Um, yeah. But um, look, the FA Cup is incredibly important to people my age because it was inc- it was regarded as, as as big a competition as as winning the league. There's no there's no qualms yeah. about that. That was true. The FA Cup was the biggest day, the final of the English football season. And the fact that Spurs had won it more than anybody else was a matter of tremendous pride to me, everyone who supports the club and the club itself. Over the years, we've seen that, that record eroded and then surpassed by, among others, Arsenal. Um, yeah. And, you know, it is, it's not ludicrous they haven't won it for 30 years because, as I say, it's hard to win trophies in England. It's ludicrous that for, for, I think, for probably 15 years that they haven't set out to win it, that they've allowed themselves to put out weakened teams and all the rest of it. And I know all the arguments about sports science and all the rest of it. I'm not a fool. I know all those arguments. But equally, um, you know, there are ways of nursing squads of players. Spurs have got north of 20 international footballers on the books. And I think sometimes it, it, it is, I, you're suggesting and hinting, I think, it's a lack of will. Um, I don't think the Newcastle United fans, if they win the League Cup in a couple of weeks' time, will be saying, oh, it's only the League Cup. It will, exactly. be, it will be a monkey off their back. It will be a relief. It will be a validation of them going to the games and spending the kind of money they do. And Spurs fans could feel all that as well if they could get themselves over the line in the FA Cup. I mean, the, the issue, Chris... And these things are only statistics, and they're and they're from a very small sample. Not only did we won the FA Cup more than we'd gone more than anyone else, we'd gone decades without losing a semi-final. The problem is now we keep losing semi-finals, don't we? Is it in all competitions? Is it seven except for the Champions League in domestic semi-finals? It's FA Cup. I think we've lost seven or eight on the spin. I mean, that's not natural, is it? That's where people are allowed to use that vile word, Spursy, which ought to be a positive about a team that plays great football, that comes from behind and wins games, that scores great goals, a club that has won the Puskas for the best goal in the world for the last two years and is in line to win a third with Richarlison's volley in the World Cup. None of them by Harry Kane, by the way. Um, and yet, because of things like always losing semi-finals, which what it must if you're under 40, that's all you know is Spurs lose semi-finals. It's terrible. Why do you think that is, though, Danny? Because many many people talk about a mentality problem. Do you think there really is one there at Tottenham? I, I, I just, I, I don't buy that. And I'll tell you for why. Because, and I know managers about winning mentality, buying winning mentality and all the rest of it. Um, because, uh, you know, it's been 20 different Spurs managers, hundreds of footballers. By the law of averages by now, the kaleidoscope of all of that would eventually have come to a place where... You know, they 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 would have they would be winning something. I think I think it's it's as much bad luck. I don't think there's a, there's a, a mentality problem. I I understand that Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson were afraid to go back to the dressing room. The world's turned changed from there as well. Um, you know, people people say that Antonio Conte, and by the way, you know, best of luck with his health issues. Absolutely, yeah. he's a human being. He's been through a lot this season, and. Yeah. Um, I've given him plenty of stick, but on a human level, you can only wish him all the best. Um, oh, he's a serial winner. Is he? Well, wh- when's he managed Oldham? <coughs> Excuse me, I've got, I've got some water somewhere. I mean, uh, there are some of these teams, I could manage them, you know. 
um, that the elite group of managers try to make sure they're in very, very winning positions um, bef before they get there, you know. And Chelsea have won trophies because of the huge investment and all the rest of it um, with caretaker managers. And managers have gone on to do absolutely nothing else. Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League with Chelsea. So is he a serial winner? Is he got the winning mentality? Or has he just got the right players at the right time? If you start saying that Spurs have got some kind of mental block about it or got lack uh, a winning the, the phrase of winning mentality, I think you might as well give up. Because I think these young men want to win things. They want to play well. Um, and it's a question of getting all those things aligned, as it was under Pochettino when he a talented group of players became a very difficult team to beat um, and a very difficult team to beat late on, you know. And until that all went south, no one was talking about Spurs having a mentality problem then, were they? Well, let's go. Let's talk about Mauricio Pochettino because, of course, mm. he took Spurs to a Champions League final. We didn't spend money in various transfer windows. 518 days altogether, we didn't spend a penny. Took us to a Champions League final. Of course, it didn't work out. A couple of months later, he was fired. Was that the right decision for you? I was heartbroken. Um, yeah. I fell out, I fell out with, with Jamie O'Hara on air on Talk Sports about it. Um, I think I might have even, even been rude to him. I've apologised since because he was going on about how great it was going to be with Mourinho. Um, yes, Spurs hadn't won an away game for a year. Um, and you can't change all the players, so you have to change the manager. Also, there comes a time after a certain amount of years where any team leader in any walk of life has the same messages to give and impart in the same voice. And perhaps you need a, a change from that. Um, Pochettino is a lovely fella. Um, clearly is a good football manager and put together there. Let's not kid ourselves. A great Spurs team. Um, if yeah. they, you know, people will say they didn't win anything. Well, they didn't, you know, Wigan won something. Uh, are they a great team? No, they weren't. Um, and he left the club. The, the mark of it, Chris, is that, you know, he left the club with not one person saying, Oh, thank God. Good riddance. They might've said about time, but they didn't say good riddance. Um, and now, of course, the problem is that he is like the king across the water. And the temptation is always to go back to him. And there are very few ever, uh, uh, moments in English football where that going back works. On the continent, it works all the time. Managers go back to clubs, look at... I mean, all right, he, he's not responsible for the corru corruption at the club. Um, but, you know, Allegri's gone back to Juventus. It happens all the time. Um, Carlo Ancelotti's doing all right at Real Madrid, isn't he? Um, and if anything, God forbid, happened to Carlo, Zidane would be back in there and would do just fine, you know? Um, I love Maurizio, though. And um, if he was to come back, I fear it wouldn't work, but I would welcome him with open arms. I think that's going to be our next manager. I really do. Um, do you? Danny, I, I, I'm the same as you. It felt like a death in the family. I know some yeah. people might think that's a bit extreme, but I felt that down about it. But of course, the switch to Jose Mourinho happened extremely quickly. If people had had an early night um, and then woke up mm -hmm. early in the morning, you know, one minute you've got Pochettino, next minute you've got Jose Mourinho. When Jose Mourinho came in for me, I felt that this is the time. We're going to get over the line. We're going to win a trophy. What did you think of that Jose Mourinho appointment? And of course, he was then sacked six days before a cup, cup final. I thought, I mean, because I'm on record, because everything I, luckily everything I think can be go back to the time, I thought it was a terrible appointment. Um, I think he, I think 
He has rehabilitated himself at Roma, but he had become a poisonous person in professional football from the moment he tried to poke out Valverde's eye during the Classico. Um, I looked at him through through slitty eyes myself. Now, I've met and worked with Jose Mourinho when he first came to London. I spent a day um, at Chelsea's training ground when he was the BBC London Sports Personality of the Year. And he can be absolutely charming. He's knowledgeable about the world. When he talks about his family, the place of human beings in the world, it was charming. I think the game had curdled him. Um, by the time he gets to Spurs, he'd had a bad experience at Real Madrid, a bad experience at Manchester United. Um, a bad experience at Chelsea, where in getting involved in the, in the removal of the club doctor, he pulled on a string that unraveled the team. She was very popular, but it's not always easy to see that. In the same way as that time when Tim Sherwood balled out Sandro on the television um, after a Spurs defeat, I think maybe at Chelsea. Um, and I thought, isn't Sandro the most popular person in the dressing room? The team just stopped playing for him, you know? Um I thought Mourinho, I, I don't buy into this Mourinho thing anymore. Um, he's, he's a decent manager. He might have won the League Cup. Let's be truthful. That, that's a possibility. Um, but he was never going to play the kind of football that has traditionally satisfied Spurs fans. And this is this has been the issue since Pochettino left. Spurs have appointed three uh, negative results-based man negative managers who think that, you know, the way to win the game is to make sure you don't concede first, whereas traditionally Spurs managers have been happier um, with, we'll go out and try and get the first goal, and if they get two, we'll get three. Um, I didn't think it was going to work, Chris, and I was surprised when they when they got rid of him when they did, because there was a cup final coming up, but I'm not party to what, what was behind all that. And he, he, you know, people say, oh, do we have to pay him a bonus to win the League Cup? Of course, you know, Spurs have lots of money, they wouldn't be yeah. worried about a few bob like that. There's something else going on there. Um, and I'm sorry it didn't work out because I want Spurs to win things. Of course I do. But I never had any any faith that it would be under Mourinho. Did you not change your mind about Mourinho once you saw the Amazon documentary? Um, not really. I, I, it was, um, I, th I thought it, it, shot, it shone a less harsh light than I on him than I had become used to thinking about him in. Um there was something weird. The thing I thought about that was he, and of course, he's a, you know, he's a very professional person. He was playing up yeah. for the cameras uh, a little bit. Um, the thing about that documentary was Daniel Levy having to be in his office the whole time, like, like um, a super fan who'd bought their favorite pop star and used to <laughs> go in in the morning and say, go on, sing me one more, sing me one more. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, 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 it was clear that the, let me put this, put this this way. The problems that Pochettino hinted at were stated baldly by Mourinho and have been amplified um, by the, you know, the very miserable press conferences Antonio Conte occasionally lays on us. So it can't be that they're all bad managers. And you're right to hark back to when Spurs didn't freshen up the team, not because they didn't have a tremendous team. They did. Not because it was hard to see where they could have made it better. If you think about the players in the team at the time, but because it is just the natural order of things, and it, it's a textbook example that I'd be using on these UEFA coaching courses, uh, saying you, you, even if it breaks your heart, you have to let go of player X because you have to stir up the pot every now and then. Otherwise, everybody gets just far too complacent. Um, but ab about Mourinho, I say, the Romans have taken to him hugely. Um, although 
after every defeat now, his behaviour becomes more and more strange. I, I believe last night when they were losing to the worst team in Serie A in the Italian Cup, he departed the bench two minutes before half time. <laughs> He's a one, as they say, isn't he? Yeah, he also uh, got a picture taken of the uh, the team when they lost and put that out on social media, which I thought was a little bit strange. Um, we waited 72 days for a new manager, Nuno Espirito Santo, come in. Of course, it didn't work out uh, for him. Uh, Antonio Conte come in. Um, yeah. Danny, I'm hopeful that Antonio Conte is going to be successful at Spurs. Um, but from what you've said so far, you don't seem that much of a fan of him. Look, he is a very intense manager and um, we've seen, you know, with um, Guardiola and Klopp, these top uh, sort of rotating elite tend to be very intense managers. Antonio, uh, um, Carlo Ancelotti wins the Champions League without being remotely intense, it seems, um, just becoming mates with the players. Um, no, my, my problems with Conte are about his attitude to Spurs. Um, I know how big how important and how beloved Spurs is across the world. Um, and when people say they haven't won trophies and all the rest of it, I say, absolutely fine. You say what you like about them. I know what they're like. He gives off a vibe that he feels it's slightly below him to be at Spurs at the moment. He gives off a vibe that he's doing a bit of a favour being there. And I've got no time for that at all, I'll be honest with you. And again, I wish him nothing but the best as a fella. Um and the fact that he's left Spurs in a situation now where they're paying £40 million for footballers while he has not committed himself remotely to the club in the future, um, I don't like this at all. Um, I think Daniel Levy's got himself into that situation. Um, but it isn't good for me as a Spurs fan to see a manager who at least isn't saying the right things. Look, let's use an example of someone who was neither, it wasn't a great manager, but he was a great bloke, Martin Yoll. He clearly loved the club and expressed it at every possible opportunity. He didn't have the finances to do much better than he did. Um, and he also got sacked in that ludicrous way. I just, I just, don't, I just don't like the fact the way that Conte does the press conferences. Be, be upbeat. Praise the players when they deserve praise. And stop using it, the, the club for a power battle with... And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Daniel Levy, because let's be truthful. What does history tell us? If, the, if he gets into a power battle, Daniel Levy, only one person is going to win. Now, I know it'll be a ferric victory, if that's the right word, for Daniel Levy, because if he lets Conti go or force him out of the club, he has nowhere else to go. He will be, as you're already hearing from the away fans, he will become the focus of all dissatisfaction, won't he? Whereas up to now, 
is tended to be a left back, a right back, or the manager, centre back, whatever it is. Now it'll be Daniel Levy, won't it? Danny, what do you make of the style of play under Conte? And when was the last time you were entertained as a Spurs fan? Uh, you're putting me through the ringer here now, Chris. Um, I Well, because I, 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 I'll happily answer that. I, I think the, yeah. the football we played under Maurizio Pochettino was absolutely fantastic. We all really enjoyed the football. And I, and I do understand a lot of the fans saying, bring Pochettino back. But, um, you know, when you bring Jose Mourinho in, you expect to get over that line. You expect to win a trophy. And I feel exactly the same of Antonio Conte. And I just feel that when you go through Pochettino, Mourinho, Conte, if this doesn't work out for Conte, where on earth do you go? Do you go back to Pochettino? It's just... Uh, look, um, I'll talk about the style of play in a second. First of all, let's let's be truthful. The desires of the club supporters and, and the way the clubs are set up, it, it was amazing to me that Chelsea appointed Graham Potter and Spurs appointed Antonio Conte. Chelsea is a win-now club, appointed a project manager... Spurs is a project and have appointed a win-now manager. Um, we'll see which of those breaks and buckles, because neither of those, those cannot hold. Um, there's far too much dissonance, philosophical dissonance, to use a phrase that I regret using even as coming out of my mouth. Um, there's far too much grinding of the gears in both those appointments for it to work out. Antonio Conte has a way of playing. And... At the end of last season, when we were whacking four and five past teams, nobody was complaining about it. So it can work. It is true to say, though, um, that until three days ago, when Sean Dyche got back into work, nobody in the Premier League plays an essentially defensive game anymore. The game has changed too much. The VAR means that if you defend on the edge of your own box, you're always going to give away something. Um, you know, they'll find some reason to give away a penalty or something like that. I want the teams that I support, and this is a, I'm coming around to a conclusion here about this, to play on the front foot, to be aggressive, to attack, to risk losing 3-2, to increase the odds of winning 3-2. That, I would say, is the Spurs' way, but, you know, that's irrelevant. It, 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 that's what I want to see, and I'll tell you for why. If you're watching your football in England and paying £80 a pop for the privilege and you cannot guarantee trophies, which I believe you cannot guarantee because of everything I spoke about earlier, then the very least you'd expect is your team plays exciting football. And the times in the, this season, I say the end of last season, Spurs are playing very well, where Spurs' famous back three and wing backs has actually become a back five with two defensive midfielders pressed into that as well and have struggled to get out of their own half, despite having what I think some very decent footballers there, um, is, is dispiriting. Now, Antonio Conte may not be to blame. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not there in the dressing room. I'm not there on the training ground. What is causing them to be so lackluster, particularly in the first half of games? Um, but I know it's been a struggle to watch them this year. Um, a real struggle. Who do you think will be Spurs manager at the start of next season? Do you think it will be Conte? Impossible to say. It's just impossible, Chris. Having let it get this far, who knows? Um, we've now got another six months of speculation. And, and people say, ah, oh, but Spurs have got an option they can fire. Why would you fire up an option for someone who doesn't want to be there? That's the last thing you want. Um, my, suspicion, my suspicion is that um, 
Levy is tied to him to a large extent and will spend the next three or four months trying to persuade him to stay, while hopefully in the background in a parallel process we'll be scouring the earth for who is the next uh, the, ne the next Maurizio Pochettino who understands the modern game, has a wide knowledge of players and wants to come in and coach what is a pretty decent group of players, um, if not maybe you know a squad like Manchester City's. Um, he needs to do both those things in parallel because we can't have a repeat of what happened after Mourinho where you, you just have an absolute vacuum at the club. Danny, and, the answer, and the answer to your question is I don't know who'll be the, who'll be there at the start of next season. Yeah, I just hope we don't wait another 72 days for a manager. If they did, then the supporters on the terraces and the supporters' trust and all the rest of it would be absolutely within their rights to say that's a dereliction of duty because it was the first time round. Yeah, it just needs to be a real plan in place. Um, yeah. What do you think of the uh, the transfer window? Of course, it just closed. Spurs have brought in two players, Dan Juma and Poro. What, what do you think of it? Did we do enough? No. Um, no. Um, partially, I think, because I, I presume that, that Daniel Levy is, you know, except for Chelsea, nobody spends big in January anyway, but... Um, Partially, I think he's probably reluctant to bring in players not if, if he doesn't know that the manager's going to be there because, you know, the next manager comes along, these are not suitable for him. Um, the problem is they, it's, you know, the right wing backs have been a problem, um, yeah. though both of them do their level best. I have no problem with Matt Doherty or Emerson Royal in terms of, you know, having a go. Um, in fact, I, I think if you could have combined the two of them, they might have made a very, very good player in that position. Um, so they brought him in, and that's good. And I think if you look at it, if they're all playing well and not mucking around, the right side of Spurs' team with Romero, Poro, Kulusevski can, can do business. That, to me, looks like a proper European Premier League standard right side of midfield. Talk about the other side perhaps a little later. Um, but what they haven't done is reinforce the team in the two areas I think most fans would think that there was most need. Um they haven't got a dominant centre-half. They've got a good centre-back in Romero. And I'm a, I'm a big admirer of Eric Dyer, though I know his form has fallen off a cliff ever since he got back in the England squad. But they do need a dominant centre-half. Everyone knows that. And the lack of creativity in midfield is very difficult to talk about because, of course, we only play two in midfield and they have to hold if the wing-backs are going to go forward. Um I pointed out on the View from the Lane podcast the other day that Spurs' midfield in a recent game was Matt Doherty, Hoiberg, Benzikur was injured, so it was probably Bissouma, um, and Ryan Sessignon. That midfield is not going to create for you. It's not going to get you the ball enough forward. Kane is a genius, does what he does. Kulusevsky is a very good player, but he doesn't play you know, in the centre of midfield. So they did, they did decided against bringing in a creative midfield in the style of <clears throat> Christian Eriksen. Um, and the reason, I guess, is those are very expensive commodities. If you go for Madison, you better have 50 million quid in your bin. Um, and again, why would you spend that unless you're absolutely obvious that you need a right wing back? Why would you spend that if you don't think Conte's going to be there? So the answer is they probably improved the squad. If you take Matt out, Pedro Porro in, heel back to Spain, and Dan Juma replacing him, that is, you know, you've improved the first team by one player and the squad by two. 
most teams won't have done more than that in the January window. But you 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 think Spurs could have done one or two more to to plump up the squad a bit. No, and and you know because it's it's hard in January to, put, to improve the team, but they did it last January. How confident are you? Go on. Uh, I was going to say, Danny, how confident are you that Spurs could finish in the top four with this current squad and the business that we have just done in January? Because I believe that we haven't done enough. I can't believe that we haven't signed a centre-back. Uh, but then saying that, I can't believe um, a month or so ago, Antonio Conte sat in a press conference and said, we don't need any centre-backs. Yeah, I don't get these press conferences. And um, I'm not going to keep on about him because I say, the man's in hospital, let's let's give it a rest. Um I think it's difficult for Spurs to finish in the top four, but it's difficult every year. Um, Manchester City are always going to finish in the top four. Um, Liverpool, you would have said the same thing about, but having a difficult season. And and Chelsea too are having a difficult season. Having They have to integrate half the, the good young players in the world. But the Premier League doesn't allow you to stand still. And you could argue Spurs have stood still from the end of last season. You could argue that. Um and the, the problem is that Newcastle have come come into it, and they, they are, they're not going anywhere now. Newcastle yeah. haven't splurged money the way Chelsea did, but they are improving their squad day by day. And any player that Spurs might have their eye on, uh, the boy from Everton is a good example. Newcastle have their eye on him as well. They can't offer them Champions League football yet. There are seven. The, the reason why the Premier League is so brilliant and so frightening and so frustrating is there are at least seven teams um, who are financially uh, and infrastructure and every other way equipped to challenge for the four places that are available for the Champions League. Spurs are one of those. Um, and every year it's going to be um, until Guardiola leaves Manchester City and then we'll see if they can find an equally good manager. Um, until then, it's always going to be an absolute scrap. Now, on the view from the lane last year, Charlie Eccleshare told me all through the second half of the season and he watches Spurs every week. He writes about them every week. He told me that they were going to finish in the top four, and I did not believe him. Um, I've tried to learn a lesson to be more optimistic then. And, of course, if they hit a run of form in the second half of the season, like they had in the second half of last season, they will probably make it. It's going to be nip and indeed tuck, my friend. Danny, what do you make of all the players out on loan at the moment? Because you know, I'm going to name two of them. Lacelso and Andombele, £100 million between the two of them. Um, well, there, there's, there's, there's two things going on there. One... Um, it's unfortunate that they recruited players. And certainly in the case of Ndombele, there was a great deal of excitement when he came. He had uh, dominated Manchester City in a Champions League game for Lyon, two Champions League games for Lyon and all the rest of it. And it just hasn't worked out um, for whatever reasons. Lo Celso would have been in a team that won the World Cup if he hadn't been injured, but it hasn't yeah. worked out. Um, it's a real problem for Spurs. They are reluctant to spend big money on players because they've had other issues. And I'll say the ground is one of them, though the debt for that, as I understand it, is now out on the horizon, um, 30 years away, a lot of it. Uh, and the other thing is that it's run as a business. They, they, they're, they're not there to promote a nation state. They're not there um, to further enhance a portfolio worth billions in the United States, um, where you've got a, you know, a franchise of, uh, sorry, a portfolio of, of other sports clubs. They're there to hopefully make it go well and then they're going to sell it, you know. Um, though 
quite how you go about selling something as expensive as Spurs these days is a mystery to me. Um, I've now forgotten what the tune of your question was. About um, Ondombele and La Celsa, £100 oh, million. Oh, pounds, oh, which, oh, which, oh, because, because we do spend money, Danny. I know I know a lot of fans yeah. say we, we don't spend money. We don't spend enough no. money. But we have spent money, but it just hasn't worked out on a lot of these players. Yeah, and at the moment, you know, we're now into February and Richarlison hasn't scored a goal um, and spent £60 Premier million pounds on him. Now, Premier League goal, that's right. Got very important goals in Europe, Those that, that brace he yeah. got. Um, the problem is the transfer market is completely weird at the very top of it. In the old days, you'd have bought those players and they would have failed. You'd sold them on at a, at a loss of five or ten, you know, of 10 or 20 percent. Unfor- well, unfortunately, Premier League clubs, the big Premier League clubs, don't do business with each other anymore. They, you know, they, they are in competition, so they don't, they don't spend their vast riches on each other's players by and large. Harry Kane might one day turn out to be a, 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 an exception to that rule, but it didn't happen the other day when you know everyone thought he'd go to City. Um, and the second thing is, of course, they, they you can't get the money from from Europe because the European leagues are skint. By comparison with the Premier League, they are skint. They cannot. So every deal's alone now. These players who are surplus to requirement, the big Premier League clubs and Spurs is a good example, will see out their contracts on loan at clubs on the continent. They won't go to other Premier League clubs because we don't do business with each other very much. And the European clubs certainly can't afford the transfer fees. In fact, most of the big clubs in Europe, um, certainly in Portugal, certainly in Holland, increasingly in Germany, and I think the Italian clubs are coming that way as well, they depend on their for their ongoing sustainability and their ongoing existence, not on local television deals, which are paltry by compared with the Premier Leagues, but by selling their players to the Premier League and getting in players from the Premier League on loan to bulk out their, their squads. Look at Juventus, look at Inter Milan, look at Lukaku. £100 million footballer out on loan a year later. This is, yeah. the, this, is, this, is, this is not sustainable. It can't keep going like this, but that's the reason why Spurs are among those who've got so many apparently good players. No one can afford them once they've been in the top six in the Premier League. Danny, I don't know whether you like this question or not. Um, mm. Who do you think isn't good enough to play for Spurs that's in the squad at the moment? Well, they're all playing for Spurs. So, the, you know, the question has, is kind of weird. Do you mean in a perfect world? Well, to, to go up to that next level, because the way I see it, you bring Antonio Conte in. He mm-hmm. wants to come in. He wants to take us to that next level. He wants to build something and he wants to put a trophy in the cabinet because you know, someone like Antonio Conte he just doesn't turn up to a football club wanting to finish um, in a Champions League spot. He wants to win. Yeah, but everybody wants to win, Chris. Everyone wants to win, but it's not possible for everyone to win. You've got, as I say, 11 of the richest 20 clubs in the world. Only one of them can win the league. I mean, I don't, I don't get this thing of, I've, I'm here to win. You're here to do your best and hopefully win. It's, it's, Modern bollocks talk. Say I'm going to win. Um, I'm going to build with winning. You, you know, it, it, it's 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 not possible. For, there's at least three, four, five, six managers in the Premier League who are proven winners. They're not all going to win. Twenty percent of them are going to win. With Newcastle coming in, sixteen percent of them are going to win. Eighty-four percent of them are not going to win. Um, as regards the players, look. We've got to be very careful here as fans. When they bought Reggion, there was great excitement. Young Spanish international. When they bought 
Um, Emerson Royal. Well, he's come from Barcelona. He's bound to be good. They haven't worked out for Spurs. You know, they, we don't, at the present moment, move in the marketplace of certainty. So what we have to have is smarts, whereby you get in a Benton Kerr or a Kulusevsky, um, who are not doing it at their current club, although Benton Kerr played a lot of times for, um, for Juventus. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, and, and train them and adapt them to the Premier League and hope they're going to get better. But, and I'm going to have to, the words are going to turn to ash in my mouth, as Arsenal have shown, and this is, I guess, what you're asking me about, in the end, if you really want to do it, you have to do two things. Get rid of the ones who are not necessarily bad players, but not the right fit. Your Lacazettes, your Aubameyangs, your Ozils, your Kalazinaches, all players brought into Arsenal at massive expense and let go for nothing, by the way. Um, and you have to spend £50 million on Ben White as a gamble that he's going to turn out to be a great centre-half. Turns out he's a good right-back. You have to spend the money on buying Manchester City's cast-offs because they know how to win the Premier League. Um, and at the moment, Spurs haven't done that. I like I like many of the players in the current squad, but let's be truthful. Um, Langley's a stopgap, isn't he? Um, a combination of Benton Kerr and, and Hoiberg is in many ways re too repetitive. You need perhaps a little bit more creativity in there. Um, but everything's so unpredictable. Last year, Son wins the golden boot. This year, I don't know if you've got any football boots, Chris, but I think you would probably have done better over the sort of 25 matches that he's played. I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, my knee's gone, but you might. Um, I mean, Son has become, as Lucas Mora has become unavailable through injury, Son has become Lucas Mora. High energy, running into brick walls. Um, and it, with occasional great goal. I, I mean, I pray because I love the man to the spots of my DNA. I love him. I prayed it all comes back for him. But what, do you know what? what? Do you I, struggle? Don't know. Um, probably, I suspect the mask didn't help. But I also think that the arrival of Richarlison, whose best position is wide left, um, some people respond to that kind of threat, and I'm not sure that he has done. Um, but we know there's a great footballer in there. But as the weeks tick by, you're starting to bite your lips slightly, aren't you? Because, you know, surely this week, this week, he got, got two great goals the other day, yeah. didn't he? Albeit against slightly, you know, with all due respect to Preston, slightly less taxing opposition. But he can still do it. That's obvious. And in some ways, it was the second one that was, you know, more of an example because it took a burst of physical volcanicity to get him into the position to score the goal. Um, I, you know, Perisic is a brilliant footballer, but he's not a left-back. He ought to be playing further forward. He play, and again, he plays a position that Son plays in the national yeah. team. Um, and it's it's telling that he hasn't scored a goal. Though. He was very unlucky at the Etihad, wasn't he? Um, and Eric Dyer cannot be... He's not a, uh, not in great form. But, that's, but my answer to you is these are all players who... If Spurs were humming as they were at the end of the last season, you know, playing really well, nobody was saying these players are no good. Matt Doherty played game after game after game and was an agent of chaos down the right-hand side. Trouble is, you get judged on the last four games rather than the last year and a half, you know? Hugo Lloris has had, um, well, an indifferent season so far. Is it time to change our goalkeeper? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm up for the mug of the month competition here, the award. At the start of the season, I was it was put to me that he was getting, would he be a problem? And I said, well, 
but we're very lucky for 10 years, and very few fans can say this, we haven't had to worry about the goalkeeper. Hugo's been amazing. Um, yeah. He's been a fantastic servant. The game has changed around Hugo, hasn't it? Two things have happened. He's six foot, whatever he is. Goalkeepers are now six foot six, six foot seven. They're huge. And, you know, and it's, it's cliche to say it, most of them are pretty good footballers now, can pass them all out from the back. Um, and that, I think, has undermined Hugo's confidence that the game that's been demanded of him now is not the game he learned when he was at school. Um, this, this thing of making mistakes, though, it really is uh, inexplicable, um, unless it just is a function of age, a function of tiredness, two, you know, captain two teams to a World Cup final, it's a lot of responsibility. But let's be fair, he was dropping clangers before he went to uh, to Qatar. It's a mystery to me, but what is clear is that you can't have a goalkeeper who is not in good form for very, very long. I, I'm all for him playing out the rest of this season. Spurs should be planning a succession for him as we speak, and I'm sure they are. What does Spurs need to do in the summer, Danny, to uh, improve the squad? Because I think a lot of Spurs fans felt that a centre-back needed to come in um, in this window, in the January window. Um, but surely, a lot, you know, a lot more additions need to come in in the summer, including the goalkeeper. It depends on who's managing the team. If Conte was to sign a three-year contract, um, then they need two centre-backs. Because, um, you know, you need six at the club. And um, much as I keep waiting for Davidson Sanchez to be the player he promised to be when we bought him, there's another one, by the way. Um, probably two centre-backs. Um, I think you need a, a, a left, left-sided left defender who's a, an upgrade on what we've got. And I've got no problem, by the way, with Ben Davis, who I think has been a stalwart for the club. And if Ben was the worst player at the club, we'd be in very good shape indeed, you know? Um, but if we're going to play this system, um, you, you, you need to upgrade that defence. Um if Kane stays, the, the attack looks like he's got plenty of things going on for it. Um, I just wish that Antonio Conte was less stubborn because in another world, a fantasy world, this team would have been transformed. Jed Spence would have been a success. And don't, there were huge clubs in for Jed, Jed Spence when it came yeah. time to get, get hold of him. Basuma would have been at least a break for Hoiberg's legs. And Richarlison would have... 12 Premier League goals. None of them have been given a proper chance for a variety of reasons, including in the case of Richarlison, uh, unfortunately timed injuries. Um, but the, the manager is very, very stubborn. Um, so it, it is a question of if he's there, they've got to improve that defence. If he's not, then I think there are a lot of talented players at Spurs or out at loan other clubs who might well Blossom under a different kind of manager. Danny, can I ask your opinion about club signings? Should the manager be signing the players like the old days? No, absolutely not. The club has to decide what kind of club it is because otherwise you get into this endless cycle of signing players for the, the manager signs the players, then he goes. The average length of, if you take, I think if you took Klopp and Guardiola out of the out of the stats, it's about it's down to less than two years now. The average tenure of Premier League manager. We are in exactly the place we used to laugh about the Continentals. Now we hire and fire managers, coaches as they're called now, willy nilly. Um, 
And I don't, you know, I don't think that's the, and it have any problem with that. It hasn't done Real Madrid any problem changing the manager all the time. It hasn't done um, the Italian clubs much of a problem, you know. Um, it hasn't left them much of a problem. Um, so, I'm sorry, again, it, 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 it all revolves around Conte, doesn't it? Um, remind me again what the start of that question was. Forgive me. I'm, I'm, I've got so many things written down on a piece of paper in front of me I need to say. Go on. What Danny, let's, let's, let, let's move on. Um, do, you, do you get to go to many Spurs games now? When was the last game you went to? Oh, God. Um, it was last season, actually, because I've um, with the COVID, the grounds were closed. Uh, I moved then to live in Ireland. Um, so, no, I don't get to go very, very often. I'm coming over in the next few weeks, and hopefully I'll get to catch a game then. Um, uh, the the travelling, I used to go back and forth to London to work, has been cut down by discovering these technologies which allowed you to broadcast from hundreds of miles away to the world. And um, we, uh, we hope I'm not going to get in trouble. Dublin Airport is a hellhole. Um, I'm looking forward to getting over there, though, probably in March. And hopefully somebody at the Athletic will have a ticket tucked away for me to go and see Spurs in person. No, so I don't see them very, very often. Although, given what I do for a living, I don't think that's the biggest problem. I get very involved in the games when I'm at the stadium. Um, and yeah. my volatility is noted. Um, whereas if you watch them on TV, at least you can, you can you know, watch the match, go mad, then watch it again in, in, you know, a bit more safely. But I love going to the to the ground. I, I had Pete Abbott, the stadium announcer, who's an old chum of mine, on the um, on the, the the podcast the other day, and we were just just the sound of his voice as the players are running out, and then the players come out onto the pitch. Those white shirts again. There's the it, it, it's 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 a difficult thing to miss. But I made the decision uh, to. Well, there's Joe and Mohammed. Hello, Joe. Um, it's a difficult decision um, to, to move to this part of the world, but part of the price I pay is I don't get to see them in the flesh as often as I used. Danny, how did you feel when you entered White Hart Lane for the very first time and then, of course, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the first time? Um, it's hard to remember the first time going into the old stadium. I certainly remember the last time. Um, I was there working for the last day, the game against Manchester United. Um for talk sport, uh, the the radio broadcast points are in a were in. A, I mean, you've probably been in them. They were a chiselled out slit about the size of one average sized human being, who you slid in, and then you had those windows behind the press box through which I can remember doing a commentary with Stan Collymore. Stan would not accept that you can't see the corners from the old commentary box at Spurs, so he would hang out the window. Um, like 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 somebody looking for somebody uh, off a train down the platform to try and see the corners and all the rest of it. Um, my big old heart broke that that day, you know, as the old players ran out of the pitch, as Spurs completed that unbeaten season at the lane. And, you know, all of my, I say, a lot of my emotional blood, sweat and tears, cash, were in that ground. I'm not a Luddite. I know things have to change. I'm so grateful that is geographically in exactly the same spot, if only for the continued existence of the Chick King. Um, yeah. And of course, you go to the new stadium, and it's a wonderment. It's one of the great wonders of the world. Along with the Texas Stadium, it's the best stadium in the world. It's certainly the best football stadium in the world. We should be very proud of it, but not if it's at the cost of having a decent team on the pitch. 
Um, but when I went there, you know, you you felt. I mean, how can I? I don't own Spurs. I own my memories of Spurs. That's all I own. And yet, I felt a surge of pride at the stadium. You know, it's 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 counterintuitive. It's ridiculous thing to think. I'm very proud of the new Spurs stadium. The first time I went there. I think I was awed because I went, I went to the opening game at the new Wembley. England played Brazil to open the new stadium. Leslie King played in midfield for England. Ha ha, he did. Um, and I remember thinking, yep, big old stadium. Been there, done that. Um, the first time I went to Arsenal's new stadium, it was the best stadium in the country then. But it was an example of the high point of the last wave of stadium design. Spurs is a new thing altogether. Um, and it's amazing and beautiful. And I cried when I went. Yeah, of course I cried. Danny, Danny of course, our next game uh, is on Sunday against Manchester City. Uh, mm. Of course, a couple of weeks ago, uh, they beat us 4-2 after us being 2-0 up at the Etihad Stadium. How do you see this game going? Um, Spurs got a very good record against Manchester City. They've shown they can score against Manchester City. Manchester City haven't got many goals um, away from home in recent times, where the contradiction of the fact that Haaland is going to get 50 goals, but hasn't improved them as a team. These are the facts. Um, look, they're the they're no, my wife's an Arsenal fan, she won't want me to hear me saying this. They're the best team in, in, in Europe. You know, look at the squad depth in every position. Chelsea has got potential squad depth. They've got actual when you can let Cancelo, who was last year along with Reese James, the best fullback in the entire league. When you can blindly let him go to a Champions League rival, trust me, you've got a great team. Um, I think, as always, uh, I'm not a great believer that the crowd can win football matches, but the noise that can be generated inside that specially designed shell is so fantastic. I think the crowd have got a big part to play, and I'm optimistic that Spurs won't get beat. I'll put it no more strongly than that. What's your score prediction? 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. So what's it like uh, being married to an Arsenal fan? I'm really used to it, aren't I? Um, I was brought up in Highbury, big Irish family. Every single one of them supports Arsenal, and I mean supports Arsenal. Um, everybody I've ever known and loved has supported Arsenal. The lady wife was a season ticket holder until we moved over here. Um, so uh, I've had to put up with it. I'm made of iron about it. Um, I don't worry about them the way other Spurs fans do. What can I do about what Arsenal do? That means nothing to me. I want to beat them in the derbies. But beyond yeah. that, you know, and I get into terrible trouble in the podcast. On us, you know, they win the title. What can I do about that? If they get more points than Manchester City, they are deserving champions of England. <coughs> Furthermore, they are, if they do it, I know we'll all be heartbroken, but if they do it, it gives Daniel Levy no more excuses. He won't be able to say, oh, but an oil... Station State team is one that has to win the title. Well, they've done it without that. And so he'll have less excuse as well. I mean, obviously, we, we hope to beat Manchester City and then they go on a brilliant run after Sunday. But that, that's probably the best thing for everybody concerned. Danny, very last question for you. Mm. Um, can you give us some of your favourite memories and favourite players over the years supporting Tottenham? Oh, God. I mean, it's impossible, isn't it? The, we've been lucky. Whatever about trophies and all the rest of that stuff, I have watched a succession of wonderful footballers over there. Um, I know it's where all football fans, you have to call it over there, don't you? I mean, the stadium. Um, I, I guess, uh, and, and some pretty good teams as well. The Pochettino team was the best team. And those of us who watched the team in the early 80s, 
that that, that won the away for a couple of rest of it. You know, that's a big thing to say. That team, I guess, um, sits very, very easily with me. The two FA Cups um, and and the the, the the UEFA Cup because Glenn Hoddle is a genius, but he wasn't even the best player in that Spurs midfield. Our dealers was an incredible footballer of a type that, if it, given the way he, given the way that he got the ball, kept the ball, and the vision that he had once he decided to pass it. If you can imagine N'Golo Kante with vision, that's what Ardiles was. So he played the ball short and ran with it. Hoddle played the ball long and admired his brilliant passes. Um, so that team has a great... They're, they're two great players. Um, we had the, the, the seasons with Klinsman, what a footballer yeah. he was. Pat Jennings is the greatest goalkeeper I've ever seen. Um, I could go on and on and on. And I hope that somewhere... Kane is a genius. Somewhere... Um, in the the muddle we've got ourselves into now with the manager and the coming and the going and all the rest of it, and the problems surrounding Paratici, let's be absolutely clear about this. That this is he's not been found guilty of anything in this country. He's not been found guilty of anything in the court of law, but it's not a good situation. Somewhere in all this mess, Newcastle have shown it, Manchester United have shown it, and Arsenal have shown it. It doesn't take long to turn it around. You know, people have managed to five-year plans. I hope that sometime in the next 18 months, I will see players and a team that will eclipse all those I've just told you about. But the answer to your question, I, I said, I could do another hour with you on the great players and teams I've seen there. I've been blessed to follow the top. Blessed. Danny, if Conte does leave... I thought that was the last you, question. <laughs> if, well, I've got, to, I've got to ask this. Yeah, if yeah. he was to leave... Who would you like if you could choose the next Spurs manager? Who would you like? Um, I think he'll be available. Um, someone like Christophe Galtier at, at PSG, somebody who's shown he can deal with players, plays really, really attacking football. Um, but that's not for me to say. I'm not a scout, I don't sit there all day. I don't think because I can play championship manager and football manager that I know everything about that level of football. That's for somebody above my pay grade. But trust me, out there, there are lots and lots of brilliant and talented coaches. The, the fear is you keep going back to the, the super elite of coaches. That's not how Pochettino arrived at the club. That's not how yeah. Bill Nicholson arrived at the club. That's not how Keith Birkinshaw arrived at the club. There's something more than just picking Chelsea's ex-managers. Although I suppose Graham Potter will be on the market as well. I don't know is the answer. Oh, no. No. Well, Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And uh, I enjoy I doing it. Your, I only upset you on one question and said modern day bollocks on the uh, <laughs> on one of them. So I've done well. Yeah. I know I was trying to build my best behaviour because it's you, Chris. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having you on. Please tell everyone where they can find you on social media and please tell everyone about the podcast as well. Sure. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm on Twitter as at Danny Kelly Words, um, at Danny Kelly Words, and you can hear me on Talk Sport. And if you're interested, because it, it, it's free from all of your podcast providers, I do The View from the Lane, um, which is, as I say, there are many good Spurs podcasts out there. I'm very proud of what we do. And if you want to hear the game discussed, uh, you know, a furious level, but without just being furious, um, I think it's a place for you. Well, Danny, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure having you on. I'd love to get you on again because you can talk for England and uh, there is so much more. Uh, for me to yeah, ask you. So um, much of it is rubbish though, Chris. You know, you have to you have to mine through it for the good bits. But yes, I, I come love on it. again. 
next time soon. Yeah, very good. Thank, thank you so much. And you've, you've had such wonderful feedback by the uh, from the viewers oh, today. So and thank you, so thank you to all the viewers. I mean, fancy, you know, look look at me and Chris. It's hardly Hollywood, is it? So thank you all for, uh, for coming on as well and watching us, you know. Well, thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, come on, you Spurs. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.